Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So that's Philippians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship God by the, we worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before now, and say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers... 
You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Well, David, thank you, for, uh, thank you for that reading. Thank you for reading a slightly longer passage for us as well. I was nearly tempted to ask David to read the whole of Philippians for us this evening. So uh, perhaps we all got off lightly there, but uh, it would have been wonderful. Uh, it's great to see you this evening. If we've not met, my name's Andy. I'm one of the ministers here, and I'd, um, I'd love to meet you after the service. If that's you and you are new here, I'll be just at the door at the end. So uh, it'll be great to meet you. Uh, and... Um, We're going to be spending the next little while looking just at those verses, the end of chapter 3, verses 17 through to 4, verse 1. So you might want to just keep your Bible open in front of you, and I'm going to pray that God would help us as we do. So let's pray together. Our Father God, as we have sung, so we pray that we would hear and see our Saviour Jesus Christ in your word this evening. Amen. Uh, How do your convictions about the future shape your life in the present? Or, Or to put it another way, as a Christian, how should your convictions about the future shape your daily life today? Now, when you think about it, uh, our beliefs about the future are one of the greatest motivators of human behavior. Uh, Why is it that the debate around Brexit has been so intense and divisive in this country? Well, it's because people have very different beliefs about what the future will hold if we do or don't stay in the European Union. Uh, Why is it that so many of our young people and our students have been laboring hard earlier in the summer, having long days in the books and stressful evenings revising, Well, it's because they had exams ahead of them. Why is it, if you're a worker here, you'll go to work tomorrow morning and not just have a bit of a lie-in and chill out? There's probably a number of reasons, but at least one of them is your beliefs about the future if you do or don't go. And just think about it for a moment. If you show up, the future probably holds a pay slip at some point, and, and if you don't, probably a P45. See, our beliefs about the future are a powerful motivator for our present behavior. And here at the end of um, Philippians 3, we're coming to the, um, the end of the main section of Paul's letter to the, uh, to the Philippians. And he ends with a big encouragement for the Christians to let what they know about the future shape the way that they live in the present That's what our passage is about, how the future should shape your present. And we're going to begin uh, with what Paul says about um, uh, the shape of our present life. And then we're going to see why the future necessitates that kind of life. And so the um, the first thing we see is Paul urges Christians to imitate the people of the cross. Imitate the people of the cross. Look down at verse 17 with me. Join with others... In following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Uh, The first part of Paul's big conclusion, your present life, is to say, basically, copy me. Take notice of people who live like I do, says Paul, and imitate them. Live according to that pattern. 
Now, we've seen, if you've been here over the last few weeks, the, the power of personal examples in the letter to Philippians. But let's just recap for a moment. What is this example that Paul wants them to follow? Well, I've tried to break it down into two things, really. See, see what you think of this. Firstly, Paul loves the cross. Paul loves the cross, which is to say that Paul loves Jesus Christ, who gave himself to death on a cross to rescue him. Uh, we saw that um, in chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, that Paul, um, Paul loves the Jesus who laid down his life on the cross. Uh, we saw at the beginning of chapter 3 that was read for us a moment ago, Paul was a morally excellent, highly spiritual and successful person, but when he met Jesus, he realised that he had treated him shamefully. Uh, just imagine with me for a moment a young man who still lives with his parents, he um, he has loving parents who've given him everything that he needs, really, in life, every, every good thing you could hope for, and, and he's a good lad. You know, he does the things that ought to make your parents proud. He, he works hard at school. He's doing gold D of E, no less. Community service, uh, he's involved in church, all of the things that ought to make a parent proud. But there's just this one thing, which is that he never thanks them or listens to them or speaks to them. I suppose that's three things, isn't it? But he comes home at the end of uh, the day at school and sits down at the um, family dinner table and, uh, and mum says to him, oh, how was your day? And he says, what are you talking to me for? I don't even know you. I've, I've done everything that's required of me. And he takes himself off to his room on his own. And, and Paul, when he met Jesus Christ recognized that for all his moral excellence, it had led to self-righteousness and self-reliance and not a relationship with God. He'd treated God shamefully for all his good deeds. When God came in the person of Jesus Christ, he wanted nothing to do with him. And then the risen Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and Paul learned that Jesus had given his life on a cross to bear the shame in his place so that he could be declared in the right with God. And when Paul saw that, well, he writes chapter 3, verse 8, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, when he saw who Jesus was and how he had borne his shame, well, he says, knowing Jesus became the controlling center of my life, the thing that is worth more to me than anything else. He loved the cross. But, but more than that, the fact that Paul loved the cross meant that he lived out the cross in his life, Jesus was not only his joy, but his example. Uh, back in chapter 2, verse 5, he, he urges the Christians to have the same attitude or mindset as Christ Jesus, who laid down his life to save others. 
If you read through Philippians 1, uh, this is why David nearly had to read the whole letter. If you read Philippians chapter 1, Paul's own example is one of precisely having that attitude. He humbled himself. He sacrificed his own interests so that others could know Jesus for their spiritual well-being. Do you see, Paul, Paul not only loved the cross of Jesus, he lived out the pattern of the cross. He sacrificed his reputation to speak about Jesus. He sacrificed his comfort and career to take risks and go to dangerous places for Jesus. He was willing even to give his own life if necessary so that people could know Jesus Christ. Paul was a man who loved the gospel and so he loved people who need the gospel. He loved the cross and so he lived the cross. And in verse 17, Paul basically says, look, you, you know my example. You've seen how I live, how I love Jesus and, and, and sacrifice myself. And, and frankly, you know other Christians who do that too. You follow the same pattern. Imitate the people of the cross in humble self-sacrifice. And here's the thing. Paul says not everyone in the Christian church loves the cross and lives it. Have a look at verse 18 with me. For I have often, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul uh, not only says imitate the people of the cross, he says don't imitate the enemies of the cross. Now who are these enemies of the cross? Well, they're not the angry atheists. They're not the religious extremists who seek to, to hurt Christians. At the beginning of the chapter that was read for us, Philippians 3, Paul is talking about dodgy Christian teachers. The very fact that there are tears running down his face in verse 18 makes it very likely that the people he's talking about are inside the church. And Paul says that there are people who own the name of Christian and yet are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Now, what does Paul mean by this? What does he mean when he says, their God is their stomach? Well, um, have you ever been on Instagram before? Have you been on Instagram before? If that's not your thing, um, have you ever read the... um, the, uh, the lifestyle supplement in a national newspaper. Uh, I'm hoping between those two examples, I'll capture everyone in the room. Okay, just uh, um, let me pivot to Instagram for a minute. So um, <clears throat> what is it that is on your Instagram stream from everyone that you follow, right? Pictures of their food and photos of beautiful holiday destinations. And occasionally there's an inspirational quote over that sunset or whatever. But um, it's exactly the same in the lifestyle supplement, isn't it? What is the good life according to Instagram, according to good living? An endless stream of exotic experiences. You eat the right food, go to the right places, have the experience. You only live once, enjoy life. Their God, Paul says, is their, their appetites the things they hunger for. Their God is their stomach. And look, you don't have to be the black sheep of the family 
to live for your appetites. No, the, the, the Philippians 3 um, danger, well, these are highly moral and spiritual people. Maybe what they hungered for was respect, power, that warm sense of self-righteousness that comes from knowing that I'm doing my bit when others aren't. And Paul says their mind is on earthly things. They're living for the here and now. Your best life now. Achieve your full potential. Certainly not the hardships that come when you go the way of the cross and sacrifice yourself for the good of others. And so Paul says, as they live for themselves and as they live for here and now, verse 19, their glory is in their shame. Has it ever occurred to you that even if we live very respectable lives, if we enjoy the good things that God has given us in the world that he's made, but we don't thank him and we don't depend on his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us, then we're treating him shamefully. We're back with teenage Paul, who does the right things but has no relationship and doesn't want one. And Paul says, for all that they do, their glory is in their shame, in their rejection of Jesus Christ, in their living for themselves. And Paul says, with tears running down his face. Don't listen to anyone who tells you that Jesus Christ can just be an add-on to your lifestyle or a spiritual top-up to what you're already doing or one thing among many. Don't settle for the model of comfortable, socially acceptable Christianity that pushes the cross of Christ to the sidelines because it's living for me and for now. Imitate the people of the cross and not the enemies of the cross. And here is the future truth that makes that encouragement makes sense imitate the people of the cross and not its enemies because of the certainty of future glory because of the certainty of future glory just look again at the end of verse 19 with me their mind is on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Now, a few weeks ago, we um, introduced this idea and we were thinking about your passport 
I don't know what um, nationality your passport says you belong to, where your citizenship is, but that document, the one I, the one I have at home, the sort of um, maroon-coloured one that still says I'm in the EU for just a little bit longer or whatever it is, um, it, it says that wherever I am in the world, my true home is in the United Kingdom. And Paul says that if you're a Christian, if you're someone who trusts Christ as your Lord and Saviour, your true home is in his heavenly kingdom. And that that should change your perspective on the present. Now, um, three years ago this week, three years ago this week, um, I came up to Sheffield for the first time in my entire life and, um, and it was to interview for a job at a, at a nice church in Fulwood on the west side of the city. And um, I'm very thankful to God because for some reason they offered me the, the job the, um, the day after the interview. And um, the thing was that I wouldn't actually start working here for another six months after they offered me the job. So for six months, um, with my family, I was still living in Kent, down south, and, um, and our home was sort of still in Kent, but, but we already knew that our true home, where we'd be living, was in the county of Yorkshire, and I know that the Yorkshiremen in the room can appreciate that. It changed the way that I viewed my home down in Kent. Uh, suddenly, some of those DIY jobs to make the house more comfortable just seemed a lot less important because who cares if we're comfortable here? Our, our true home is up there. It changed my priorities. I found myself Googling things to do in the Peak District, which I'd never even thought about before, and stuff like that because our, our true home was no longer there but, but here. And Paul says that this is true for Christians Our true home is not here and now, pleasing ourselves, but in Jesus' heavenly kingdom. And verse 20, we await, we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Do you want to hear one of the central truths that the early Christians preached to everyone they met? It's this. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead in history and was seen by witnesses before ascending into heaven, we can be certain that he will come again to judge and to save. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be certain that he will come again to judge and save. And listen, if the things I say this evening about heaven and about the future sound very speculative to you, can I encourage you to look into the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? Ask a Christian friend. Come and talk to me at the end. But if it's true, if Jesus really did rise, we can know that he will return Uh, Paul says we will be raised physically. That's what it meant in verse 11, just um, uh, earlier on in our reading, when he talks about the resurrection from the dead. It's a plural. Um, uh, He means that we will all be raised physically when Jesus returns. And for those who have treated Jesus shamefully, who've done it their own way, well, verse 19, Paul says their destiny is destruction. 
that Jesus will come as their judge and cast them out from God and life and every good thing under his conscience, conscious and eternal judgment. Their destiny is destruction. But for the people of the cross, the people who have trusted Christ, who love the cross and so live the cross, verse 20, we eagerly await a saviour from there, from heaven. Verse 21, he'll bring everything under his control. This is not some vague hope about the future that we might just be disembodied souls. It's not um, the hope of floating on clouds in sort of Laura Ashley 90s plucking harps or something like that. He will renew, restore and fix our broken world. Bring everything under his control. Imagine living in the world we live in but with no more sickness, suffering, sadness or pain anymore. No more stories of abuse or victims or tears. No more death and no more having to deal with the death of those we love. He will bring all, um, with the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. A new world. And verse 21, with that power, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they are like his glorious body. Now look, um, I'm, I'm 35 years old, and I know what you're thinking. I look about half that age. Um, but one thing I've noticed in my 30s that wasn't true in my teens or 20s, um, I, I quite like to run. I'm not very good at it. I'm not very fast. But I have to take the whole stretching and warming up and down thing a lot more seriously than I ever used to. Because um, now I'm in my 30s. If I don't, I basically can't walk the next day. Okay? Um, I'm told that middle age can be defined as needing to sit down to put your socks on. That late middle age means sitting down to put your socks on and asking, is there anything else I could do while I'm down here? And old age is sitting down to put your socks on and forgetting you were even, why you're even down there. See, the point is, we don't like to think about it, but each day that goes by, whether you like it or not, you are one day closer to death. And all the medicine and all the vitamin pills and all the exercise and healthy living and kale in the world can't stop the entropy going on in your own body that one day you will die. We're like cut flowers in a vase. We look beautiful. We flourish for a time. And then we wilt and we fade, the Bible says. And here is the promise of Jesus Christ, the promise of the cross, that for everyone who trusts him, when he comes back, he will come as a savior to fix our world and to give us bodies that will not grow old and weary and sick and die. An eternal life will be with Jesus and we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is, Paul writes elsewhere. And look, here's the point. 
Here's the point. If history is just sort of an endless cycle of repetition, like so many people in the East believe, then you may as well live for yourself and live for now. Because it's all just going to come around again anyway. And if history is just random and meaningless, apart from the meaning that you create from inside, like so many in the modern West believe, well then, of course, live for yourself and live for now, because it's all just random anyway. This is the one chance you've got. But what if history has a meaning and a purpose and a goal? If it begins with creation by a loving God and ends with Jesus Christ coming back to judge and save, to bring in a new world, and all of history is heading in that direction. Now, if that's true, it makes perfect sense to love the cross and to live out the cross. Because it's Jesus Christ who died so that you could be welcomed into that renewed kingdom by a saviour with open arms. It's Jesus Christ who makes that possible so that your time here on earth is like my last six months in Kent. Just the end of something temporary. You can follow the pattern of the cross. You can lay down your life for the sake of other people because what is it that really matters? What Christ will say of you and of them on that last day. You can trust him for that reason. You can go the way of the cross knowing that Jesus has promised a crown of glory for those who trust him. We all know prominent Christians who teach and live like Jesus Christ is just an add-on to the life that you already have. Like things can go ahead as normal and comfortable and successful and you just bolt Jesus on the side. And Paul says, don't follow that pattern. Beware of that pattern because there is this great future day when the Saviour will come. And if you're in this room, I take it that you know at least one Christian who is living out the pattern of the cross and loves the cross. Uh, a few weeks ago, I mentioned a mate of mine from, um, from down south who, um, who has a big bowl of chocolate bars on his desk at work. And when one of his colleagues asks if he can have one of the chocolates, he says, uh, yeah, fine, come with me to the Christian meeting on Thursday and you can have a chocolate bar. <laughs> and, um, uh, and we sort of laughed about that because it's not a very sophisticated way of persuading people to come and hear about Jesus. Um, I was on a conference in London last week and actually, funnily enough, I bumped into him during my lunch break. He had two enormous pallets of Diet Coke under one arm and a, and a massive multi-bag of crisps in the other hand. And I was thinking, they must be having a mission week or something like that. What's he doing with all that stuff? And look, it isn't a very sophisticated way of getting people talking about Jesus. But there's a guy who goes into work every day saying, I want to get people talking about Jesus. 
and finding a way to do it. He sees that the future will be decisive, that there is destruction for those who treat Jesus shamefully and ignore him, and a glorious future hope for those who know him and trust him and love him, and that shapes what he does day to day. I guess we'll know people who give up their time at the end of a busy day during a busy week to teach the Bible to children and to young people. They see that what really matters is what uh, they think of him on that last day. I guess we'll know shy and introverted Christians who come to church and even though it doesn't come naturally, they come to church wanting to welcome new people laying down their life to make people feel welcome. Uh, We'll know Christians who have a reputation for being honest and hardworking and kind, even though the boss is a nightmare because they're doing it for Jesus and not for him. And I guess we'll know older brothers and sisters who have plenty of their own struggles but who give themselves to praying for other people. And Paul says, imitate them. Love the cross and live it out. Lay down your life for the spiritual well-being of other people. Because it won't be long, as we eagerly wait, before the Saviour comes. And after the cross, the crown of glory and just a last word, because it might be that you're here this evening and, um, and you say, Andy, I'm just exhausted. The idea of laying down my life, I'm just, I'm just weary in the Christian life at the moment. And if that's you, let me say I'm convinced that we don't do more because we don't think about the future nearly enough. You see, Paul points the Christians to the, the future certainty. He says, remember that and you'll be full of living the way of the cross. We were hearing last week how essential it is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. And here is the Jesus to keep your eyes fixed on, the one who's coming back in future glory, the saviour from heaven. And so, my brothers and sisters, who I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Amen.